and I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. Welcome back to My Alchemical Romance. This is Eric Arneson. This is Matt Anthony. And we, uh, it's been exactly one year and we've returned to Wayfinder. Uh, you can go back to episode number three and listen to us at Wayfinder the first time around. So number three or number two? Yeah, I think it was three. I just looked oh. at the I oh, just okay. looked at the list because I was trying to be like, what where was do we go? That place where we went. Um, so uh, one of the big things that's different this year is they've got their own beers. So it's not just like collaborations and stuff. They have actually their own stuff now. So I got six tasters and Matt got two. <laughs> this is gonna go super well. Um, did you get you didn't get the Polybius? No, I, I got the Phil's Project, which number, is a, number two. uses a decoction mash, and then the Oathbreaker Saison. So this is the pills right here, right? This thing that's like as clear as glass. It's like yellow glass. It looks like Budweiser. It's good. Oh my god, that's delicious. And that's, that's Saz. Hops, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this beer, the Pills Project number two, it's decocted. Can you tell us what that means? Uh, yeah, like you pull out, you scoop out some of the mash uh-huh. before you would start the um, sparge, uh-huh. and you boil it, and then you put it back into the mash. Why would around. you do that? Um, it adds a lot to like the mouthfeel, okay. and uh, it's just a traditional way of brewing beers like in Germany. Whereas, like, now, I mean, it's a really, it's a pain in the ass to do, especially on a commercial scale. So we didn't do that when we brewed? No. Well, okay. no, you wouldn't do that with every style. Okay. It'd be mostly if you're doing German styles. Okay. But, like, now, to get around that, if you want that same decoction character, you would just use, like, melanoid and malt. Mm-hmm. And is that part of, so how did they get the beer this beautifully clear? Like, this is, this One is the, so see-through. It's incredible. One of the... I mean, lager yeast uh-huh. flocculates really well, so everything falls out of suspension. And plus, uh, it's lager, so it gives more stuff. It's oh, so it has a lot cold of time stuff to, can yeah, yeah okay. fall out. Because it's, it's a beautiful beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so, so clear. And then what's the other one you got? Uh, Oathbreaker. Oathbreaker. Did I get Oathbreaker? Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, you did. That one. No, that one. That would be Oathbreaker. Oathbreaker. An Oathbreaker is a Saison that's brewed with Barnaby from Stigberget's Briggerei in Göteborg. Göteborg is in Denmark or Sweden? Right? Uh, I would guess Sweden. <laughs> Just the uh, yeah, Burger. You, you want to look it up? Yeah. Okay, so... This uh, this looks like a saison. It's still like I guess I always have this. Uh, Are the so far, guys? They're delicious. Great. That that uh, decocted pilsner is. You like that? Oh uh, yeah. Awesome. And it's beautiful. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, Kevin does a great job. We're lucky to have him. That's good. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, Holy shit! The saison. This is like Sweden. Okay. Yeah. Cool. This is delicious. This saison is amazing. You have to. <laughs> I can't. Oh, yeah, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just totally gonna annoy the hell out of you by. Yes, bouncing by, around. Oh yeah. 
Uh, all right, so that Saison, the Oathbreaker Saison, I really like, but we won't talk about it anymore until Matt finishes his first beer. Um, but Polybius Pale Ale. Is, this is a cloudy pale ale. Uh, what is it? weird. This is the Polybius. No, like, no. Don't go off of that. It's off of this. Yeah. Polybius. That would be Polybius. No. Is it? Wait, so what's this? Are you sure? So Hidden Hand is number three. No, no, it goes like this. Polybius. Little Field Saison. Hidden Hand. Black Lager. This is the... Oh, you're right. Yeah, okay. yeah, you're yeah. Right. So this is Polybius Pale Ale. And it is, it's a very cloudy looking pale ale, which is kind of interesting. I haven't... Um, it's an East Coast pale ale. An East Coast, yeah. <laughs> New England pale. Mm. This is totally the flower in the kettle. It has to be. It doesn't taste... It tastes... No, I guess that's Simcoe. Oh, it's got a really biscuity finish. Hmm. It started off with kind of that orange juice flavor that I would associate with a hazy IPA. Um, but I mean, I I don't know. This feels like this feels like it might be a hazy IPA. Honestly, I'm very confused. What was that one called again? Polybius Pale. Oh, I don't have it on here. It's right at the top. Oh. Oh, you have an old menu. Mm-hmm. Huh. Or I have... Yeah, because he said they just released this one today. So it could also be that it just has to have a little bit of time to settle or something. I don't know. But it is, it's cloudy. Interesting. Not... <sighs> okay. And then my second beer is the Little Field. Beast Folk, Little Beast Field Folk, Five Grain Saison. Uh, I believe the brewery is Little Beast, and the beer is called Field Folk. Um, this is a very golden copper colored beer. It's also super clear. Oh, it's got a really kind of fruity aroma. Oh wow, that saison is really good. I know. Oh, you want? To, oh, we could talk about it now. Oh, that little beast saison is almost cidery in its flavor. Like it's got a lot of. I don't even know how to describe that. <sighs> yeah, it's got a super cidery kind of tartness to it. That's interesting. Uh. Okay, so this is the Oathbreaker. Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? Really, really good. I uh, feel like it's got a super classic Saison flavor to it. A lot of really cool uh, fruit esters. And, uh-huh. Yeah, There's, this is the kind of Saison I like. I don't like a super hoppy Saison. Yeah, me neither. I like this too. It's It's got like that banana ester flavor. Mm-hmm. It's got, um, yeah, there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on in here. It's it's a very refreshing beer. I could totally drink a ton of it. Mm, yeah. That's hard to find a Saison that I like. 
Not for I mean, me. I love saisons, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not super picky about saisons. I'll I enjoy pretty much every single one I get my hands on. <laughs> my other issue with most saisons, especially brewed here in America, uh-huh. is especially lately, and like they're uh, like so attenuated. They like they lose all their mouthfeel. Like they're really thin mm. and overly hop for me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a saison should be a little boozy, mm-hmm. like, but it also should be, it should be thick. Like, my, my, my memory is, like, the first saisons I had, I just remember them almost having a feeling like they were kind of chunky, yeah. like lumpy or something, yeah. right? Like, like, they sort of feel like, oh, shit, we left this beer in the barn and it went bad. <laughs> Let's drink it anyhow. You know, like, they, it's totally, like, it, it just feels like caveman beer almost, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things I love about saisons. I mean, they always feel so sort of like raw and accidental, and um, and this I think the Oathbreaker does a pretty good job with it. Now this other one, like the one that has the cidery flavor. Which one's that? Uh, this is the Little Beast Field Folk. Oh yeah. Done. It's one of their guest taps. Um, I guess in a way it has that same feeling, but it's it's very tart. Uh, I'm not going to call it sour. It's sort of tart in the way that ciders are. You okay. know where there's a it must be kind of the cherry, the cherryish flavor, but it is pretty dry. Yeah, I love that oathbreaker. Awesome. Yeah. Can I take this one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want me to bring you something else? Are you good? I'm probably good for right now. Good? Dude, awesome. what about the Pirat Rum Barrel Age Triple? You're saying you're not going to try that? Yeah, I'll do it. We'll try that one. <laughs> sure. yeah. That's the one that caught my eye when we were looking at their website. I was gonna work my way up to that one, but yeah. But well. I mean, you know, it's actually about doing that since they did such a good job with Oathbreaker. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm actually I want to try their Hef because yeah, it tastes like the dude actually he got it. He uh, man, I can't talk today. Um, Big pillowy head and creamy weeded mouthfeel. It almost sounds like a porn. <laughs> <laughs> Beer or porn. <laughs> I mean, this brewer, like, he's, he's, he understands fermentation, so. Yeah, and he also has, I think he has, uh, we, we discussed this last time, I think he's got uh, esoteric interests, like the art on the wall over there, mm-hmm. and then I don't know Back if they there. still, yeah, yeah, they still have the big, yeah, so to be really, you know, one of the things that's been really, uh, that I, I wish we had more of in this, in this podcast, is brewers who were occultists, uh, because you can't be the only one. No. There's no way. Yeah, there's got to be more. And there's so many zillions of brewers. Thank you. But if I had to guess, I would bet the guys from Holy Mountain are. Yeah, and... That other just like spooky stuff. But all their names suggest... Yeah, that that they are into it. And I think maybe the brewers at Ecliptic might also be occultists or into esoteric stuff or weird stuff. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, there's also like... Or even the brewery last night. Where did we go? Um, uh, oh, yeah. What was that place called? Uh, that place was in Culmination. Culmination, yeah. Oh, my God. They had incredible beer. Um, and incredible food. Yeah, that would, be a, 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 that would be a fun place to record, but it's probably super loud most of the time. Yeah. Um, we'd have to go there, like, in the afternoon. Um, yeah, their food was really good. Anybody listening to this, go check out Culmination Brewing. That's a good, mm-hmm. that's a good one. Even people who aren't listening to this, you guys should go check out Culmination Brewing. Yeah, so so here's a here's an interesting topic then. Like, 
so so using occult symbolism and stuff like beer is really fascinating but it doesn't ever give you any insight into whether or not the brewer is into that kind of stuff yeah uh, and I'm not really sure what would you know I mean even even like the the beer we made um, we didn't put any like occult themed ingredients into it we didn't make like some sort of magic potion we didn't no. we didn't draw up a, a uh, an elective horoscope for it and be like, oh, we need to add mugwort and wolvesbane and... and but we, did, we did brew it in a magic circle, though. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah, And Barley was there, too. <laughs> yes. We did have the witch dog's blessing. But um, but it's, it's fascinating, like, the amount of occult symbolism that has entered into popular use now. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's super popular. Like, you see people getting occult tattoos, and I think they usually don't have any idea what they're doing you get people doing yeah i mean so i see a ton of scottish right symbolism in pop culture yeah got clothing oh man the double-headed eagle yeah yeah it is very very popular uh the next beer i'm going to try here is the hidden hand the serne pivo black lager this is a czech style uh dunkel looks like uh, i guess they would just call it a dark lager Gonna be a Kolsch? No. No. Kolsches are not lagers. Oh, this is good. It is milky, almost like the mouthfeel. It's smooth. It's got a nice sweetness that kind of like underlies the coffee notes in it. Um, This is super good. Decocted mouthfeel, it says. It's like I've got a decoct in my mouth. Oh. <laughs> Happy birthday, Eric. <laughs> um, oh, this is delicious. This is, um, I mean, the balance in this is, is outstanding. Like the, the hops, I mean, I know they're there, but they're almost, they almost just sort of blend into the background. And there's this, the, there's a sweetness to it that almost feels um, uh, uh, lactose-ish, right? Huh. Like kind of a residual, milky, creamy mouthfeel, like uh, this kind of roasty coffee notes that are just sort of dancing over the top of it. Like this is a masterpiece. That's worth that's worth drinking a gallon of. But they do crowlers. Nice. Um, so that's pretty good. More people should. I like that way better than having to carry a growler with me. Crawlers are awesome. And they, they keep forever. Yeah. Like, I've had one... I think of the longest they had one was eight months. And yeah. the carbonation was still spot on. Oh, did I tell you... I think I told you about the, the Hawthorne... The, the growler place on Hawthorne. Yeah. They do... Um, Big Legrowski? I don't know about no, Hawthorne, but Big Legrowski I don't know where downtown. it's at, but I hadn't been there. Uh, that place is really cool. They do they do growlers, but uh, the growler place on Hawthorne has been a growler place for a while. They just I think got new owners and got all revamped and stuff. And they do this thing where when they, they do growlers of different sizes, so they have little itty bitty like oh we talking about and like you can uh, like go in six and ounce just... growlers and twelve ounce growlers. And then uh, and then when they get low when they have a keg that's starting to get low and they yeah, want to move through it, they just crowl it up. They can the rest of it, and they've got a fridge in the back where you can go in and just get a can of some random beer for three bucks. They have a label on it and tell you, right? Yeah. But you, you can go in there and just get crowlered beer. Um, 
we should check that place out today if we have time. It's a fun place. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so let's go back to the occult symbolism and pop culture, which is a cool topic. I wish that we knew more about it. Um, because I feel like it's also something that's been going on for a long time. Like, right, like Hot Topic, for instance, yeah. has... Is probably that it might even be where it started. And Hot Topic has been around since I was in high school, mm-hmm. for ages. Um, even though maybe there wasn't as much occult symbolism, it certainly wasn't as popular back then. And I feel like it's mostly in the last maybe 15, 20 years where it's really. Ex- oh my god, I'm getting old. Where <laughs> that doesn't seem like that long of a span of time. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, this is my birthday. It was only podcast. one score ago. <laughs> <laughs> Just a hundred fortnights hence. <laughs> okay, the last beer on my list says Taster Fink. What is that? Oh, flower in the kettle. This is the hazy IPA. Did I get the same beer twice? I think I did. I think I got the same beer twice. I think the one that I thought that I was reviewing as the Polybius Pale Ale before is also the flower in the kettle. I'll bring it up to him when he comes back. <laughs> this pirate, the red barrel aged? Pirate. Yeah. Really boozy. Is that what Super you're drinking boozy. now? Yeah. I mean, just smell, smell how boozy it is. Oh, it's really good though. Yeah. That looks amazing. Um, Hmm. Hmm. I think I'm gonna go back to the uh, the Pilsner. Oh wait, that's this. What's this one? This is the Littlefield. Okay, so here's a here's another interesting thing. The Hidden Hand, the uh, the black lager from Czech beer. When I saw the name, it made me think of the Black Hand, which was a secret society that started World War One. Did you know about this? No. Okay, so World War One was started when uh, Archduke, yeah, Franz Ferdinand was assassinated in um, in uh, uh, Sarajevo, mm-hmm. and um, the group that assassinated him was a secret society called the Black Hand, uh, and I don't remember exactly what their deal was, but that assassination set off this chain of events that had to do with like all of these political uh, alliances that had been made that that drew all of Europe into a war at the same time. Yeah. And I don't think that's what the Black Hand was necessarily trying to do. I think what they were going for was Serbian independence. They overshot a bit. I mean, not only did they overshoot it, but like it, their their area, that part of the world, ended up being a mess. It's still, still kind mess. of a mess. Um, yeah. So that's what that name made me think of. And, then, and I, I shouldn't get uh, Czechoslovakia and Serbia mixed up because they're not like, no. I don't even think they border. Do they? Do they border? Is there a country in the middle there? I don't think they, I don't think they border. You look it up? Yeah. I should know. I was a geography bee champion. Really? Yeah. I won uh, my school and then made it to the final round in the state. What year was geography. that? That would have been 1994. Three? 92 or 93. What what grade were you in then? Eight. Yeah, 90. Yeah, probably 93. Something like that. But 
But but isn't the Oklahoma Geography Championship just about like which states border Oklahoma? No. <laughs> and how, to, how to spell them and what their capitals might be. <laughs> Still looking. The Czech Republic does not. What's border, in between them? Uh, Austria, Slovakia, Hungary, Slovenia, Croatia. Well, shit. It's like not really even close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well. Okay, yeah, there's a lot of... There's a lot of stuff in between. Okay. Yeah. It's like four Massachusetts between... Right. <laughs> okay, so tell us... Uh, give us give us a, a breakdown on this uh, Pirat uh, Special Reserve Rum Barrel Aged Triple. It's interesting because most of the time when you put... A beer in a barrel, it's usually like a stout or something a little heavier mouth uh-huh. But to put a triple in there, it's nice because uh, there's enough alcohol to start with that it didn't thin out the beer. Because I've had some beers where they put like maybe a pale ale or something in a barrel. Oh. A lot of times it thins it out. It gets, well, yeah, because the alcohol gets soaked up by the wood and yeah. you end up with something kind of wimpy. But this thing is like, it says it's 10.5%. Yeah, and it holds up. Yeah. It, uh, but because it was a triple, uh, the rum definitely takes over. So you don't get a lot of... Is there... Do you taste oak? Just a, a little bit. But mostly rum. Mostly rum. So Pirat is a really interesting rum because it's pretty thick and uh, sugary. Like, it's a very sweet rum. Um, Pirat? Yeah. Have you had it before? I've had Pirat the beer. The brewery. Oh, I thought... Oh. Are they the same people that make the rum? I don't know. They've got a pirate. I mean, it's a... There's a pirate on their label. They're from Belgium. Well, I mean, it means but pirate. I don't know. Like, but uh, I, don't, I meant, like, does the rum have a pirate on its label? I think there's a pirate on the label. The rum The rum is a little squat bottle like this. That's kind of what the beer bottle's like. Uh, maybe they're related. I don't know. Uh, okay. Here, when he comes back around. Oh, I know Curat, the brewery. They're Belgian. Yeah. I'm remembering them now. I don't think that's the same. Mm. No. Um... That's interesting. That, yeah. I mean, I was just sort of wondering if maybe they used Pirat rum barrels. I don't know. I'm oh, not wow. sure. Okay, back to the decocted pilsner. This thing is this thing is a work of art. I just love how clear it is. Mm-hmm. I I feel like you never see a beer this cl- a, a, a microbrewed beer that's this crystal clear. Super rare. It looks so much like a Budweiser. Or, or like a, a, you know, a shitty American lager. And the flavor is so nice. Like that, that sots, um, it just like leaps out. Traditional and idyllic, it says. But I, I feel like that's right. I feel like that's yeah. true. It really just, um, it feels like exactly what I want a Pilsner to be. Yeah, I They agree. did a really good job with this one. I think I'm only have a couple more sips of this if you want it. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to taste it. There you go. Okay. So now I'm going to try the rum barrel aged triple. I really enjoy it. It smells like rum. Yeah. Tastes like it too. I mean, like all triples gone. It's just rum. (laughs) It's fizzy rum. Yeah. No, there's still triple flavor in there. Barely. Yeah. But it's not in a bad way. It's good. That's a good blend of flavors. Like, yeah. Because a lot, so a lot of times when when uh, the barrel comes through too much in a beer, you get like just this overpowering oakiness mm. that kind of like 
crushes the beer flavor and just makes you feel like you're drinking, I don't know, like an oak cocktail or so something. I like when a barrel-aged beer is like that. I, I want to taste the oak. I want to, I want to taste the oak, but I want to taste the oak in combination with the other flavors. Oh, yeah. Thanks. This one's gone? Yeah. Any, that any thing, that was the decocted, that was the... the Pills drink. Project number two? Yeah. Like that that is a work of art. Awesome. That is beautiful. I've had a couple of people really, really like that. Oh, the last I, couple I'm of days. super happy with that one. And this one too, the the hidden hand, the black lager. Holy crap! That's like good. that one. Yeah, good, awesome. Yeah. So, what's awesome the name of your brewer? His name's Kevin Davy. Kevin Davy. Kevin, and Kevin worked he... for Firestone Walker in oh, California. Wow. Okay. For Chuck and Matt uh, up in Bellingham. He worked for Gordon Biersch in wow. Seattle. Oh wow! So he's like got a around. Resume. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's like. Uh, Let's see, this was his seventh year in a row, I think, being a judge at the Great American Brew Festival in okay. Denver. So he knows his shit. He went to Chicago to brewing school. He also studied in Germany. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's got a very impressive resume. Cool. Nice. He's got, like, medals all over his lob into his house. Like, he's, Man. He's very... He knows what he's doing. Probably. Well, all of these have been Passionate. really, really impressive so awesome. far. Awesome. Um, You're right. I didn't realize how close... We literally released this they look, yesterday. They look and so they much look alike. very, very similar. Yeah. I, this one looks like it's a little lighter. A little tiny bit lighter, and this one's a little bit brighter, I would say. Yeah, but when I was looking at him, I was kind of like, but wait, is that just... when you held him up just... like this, I was like, oh, shoot, we're going to be two of the same <laughs> That's one. what I was thinking, but they taste different. A little bit different. Cool. <laughs> anything, any stamps? Yeah, can I do a four ounce of the Mindstrom? Yeah, of course. Oh, I'm excited to hear about this one, or I'm excited to experience this one. The Mindsturm is a Bavarian-style Hefeweizen. It says heavy banana, bubblegum, and clove. It's another decocted beer, decocted wheat beer. Big, pillowy head and creamy, wheated mouthfeel. Beer or porn. <laughs> All right, that was, that was rummy. Oh, we have to pace ourselves. I know. That's why I didn't do the full... Well, I'm already up to number four now. I know. <laughs> we only had half of that one. Cool. We got good information about this brewer. Yeah. And I'm certain that he will end up on the recording. Okay. I'm going to finish off the Polybius now that we have confirmed that they are different beers. Yeah, I guess I'm going to... I'm going to say that the Polybius might be my least favorite of all the ones that I've tried. It's hmm. still pretty good. But I want to have more... I'm not sure what it's missing. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Cheers, Yeah. So let's take a look at that. It's clear. Is that because of the decoction? We already talked about this, didn't we? Uh, no. Um, it would have any impact on clarity. Okay. Um, I'll take a picture of it just because it's so... Okay, so what do I have left? I've got the Field Folk from Little Beast, which is a five-grain saison. Did we ever go to um, Bushwhacker? I feel like that sounds familiar. The Cider Place down in Powell? No, we have not. Oh. That'd be worth its own episode. Huh. Very interesting ciders. They have... Uh, they have six of their own ciders on tap, or I don't know how many of them are their own, but they have usually like six ciders on tap, and then they have over a hundred ciders in bottles. Um, and they do a bunch of really fascinating stuff, like a lot of like saison style ciders, and I guess farmhouse ciders, and spontaneously fermented. They do, they do sour ciders and uh, dry, sweet, like every type. There's a huge variety of 
Did the sun come out? What's happening? I think, I think What's so. going on? <laughs> Where did you get right? <laughs> this doesn't feel like Oregon anymore. <laughs> yep, sun. All right, now I'm going to drink, now that I've finished the cider, I'm going to polish off the flour in the kettle. Hazy IPA. This tastes a little italicized. Really? Yeah. What, metallicized? Italicized. Italicized. Uh, Italicized. I have no idea what that means. Can you can you tell us what that, explain that to us? It's like a rubbery kind of flavor. Rubbery? Yeah. Oh, that's bad, right? Mm-hmm. So how does that happen? Uh, that can happen a couple of ways. One, if you have too much, um, it's called hydrostatic pressure in the tank, um, could cause the uh, the dead yeast and the uh, yeast on the bottom of the tank to rupture. Oh, to rupture. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I have heard of that. Another way is like if it just sits on it for too long. But I think it's, I don't, I don't know. I may be tasting something else. Maybe. <clears throat> I mean, and I trust little, your palate. And uh, quite a bit of sulfur, too. Oh. And what does sulfur come from? That's just a byproduct of the fermentation process. It's, it's pretty normal. A lot of times it'll just fall off on its own. Uh-huh. But it's still hanging around in this. I was... Because I was so impressed with the uh, Oathbreaker Saison. Yeah. Those esters, I was kind of expecting that in this beer. But So what's your impression of the Mindstrom? Uh, Do you like it? No. No? No. It's the only one I've had that I, I didn't really like. Huh. Well, I mean, I guess uh, a brewery like this... I mean, they're doing so many different styles, and this guy has so many different influences. Yeah. Whatever his name was, Davies... Um, and it's just not to my palate. I mean, he mm-hmm. may dig it, and other people may dig it, but it's just not what yeah. I... And maybe he's experimenting, too. Like, maybe yeah. he's just trying so many different things. I mean, they don't have a huge brewery. It's right behind us. Uh, and they must be, what, like a seven-barrel, you think? Uh, you can, like you can just look around the corner and... It may be a ten-hectoliter. Ten-hectoliter. So, like, close to nine-barrel. It's nine bigger, bigger than okay. seven, but it's not... Yeah. But it's not like a it's not like a fifteen barrel. No. I really like the flour in the kettle. It's nice. It's juicy. You want to do this one? I'm not gonna finish it. Try it. Are you done with it? Yeah. All right. Mindstorm. Smells like hot dogs. Is that normal? It totally smells like a hot dog. I don't get a hot dog. Hot dog. What kind of hot dogs are you buying? Oh, like bad ones. Like, <laughs> maybe hot dog buns. Maybe it smells like hot dog buns. That is mm, very banana-y. I don't get any banana. I got some banana and some... I don't know what that other flavor is. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's okay. Hmm. I would drink this. My palate might be super screwy right now, too, because I've got a cold, so my nose isn't working as well as it could. Because I didn't get any banana. That's what I was hoping to get. I've had better halves. I'd be curious to try it a few months from now. See if it chills out a little bit. Does that happen a lot with the... No, I meant just changing the recipe. Oh, okay. Because you you don't want to keep a half around that long. Because there's so much protein in a half... That it, that doesn't, it's not a beer that's going to have uh, a long shelf does life. It not, oh, is it true? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, I mean, like, it's not one you're going to hold back in store. Okay. It's not just going to be, like, go bad after three months, but ideally you'd want to drink it within three What months. about, like, a Weizenbach? 
That's going to hold up longer. Is it? Yeah. So it's... Just because this is mostly, it's got such a huge amount of wheat uh-huh. in it, and wheat has a ton of protein. But a Weizenbach has, is, is a wheat beer also, yeah. but is it because of the alcohol, does the alcohol help, like yeah. the higher alcohol level? Okay. Yeah. Cool. My Alchemical Bromance is sponsored by Miskatonic Books. Miskatonic Books is an online bookstore that focuses on rare, limited edition, and custom-made books of the highest quality. They specialize in books on the occult, ceremonial magic, Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, Hermeticism, and other topics of interest to you, our listeners. Check them out on the web at miskatonicbooks.com. We are at Ecliptic Brewing now. Um, I really like this place. Uh, I, I, I like their theme. I love that they've got the like this huge mural on the wall behind oh, us where it's the sun and all the planets moving around it. Some of their beers are named after like moons and 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 stuff. Uh, and what are you drinking? I am drinking Zenith Grapefruit Goza. Zenith Grapefruit Goza, and I am drinking Callisto Blackcurrant Triple, which is a new release. And it's named after one of the moons that Galileo discovered. You know, I mean, this beer is named after a moon that changed uh, our society. Maybe for the better. Maybe, whoa, maybe not for the better. Have you taken a sip yet? No. Can I try it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Good? Yeah. Uh-oh. Matt's making a face. Is it a good face? No, it's good. Okay. It's good. It's got a good clean nose on it. Like it doesn't have a. I don't know that I would guess that it was a berry-based beer on the nose. Yeah, just on the nose. Definitely on the taste. Oh, that is. Oh, I like that. I like that. I think I like blackcurrants. Hmm. Um. What do you think of yours? Pretty good. It's not as a. Uh... Salty is some of the ones I've been drinking lately. Well, tell us a little bit about Gozas. Like, tell our, I mean, tell our listeners a little bit about Gozas, I guess. Like, what are Gozas? They're um, usually pretty low alcohol, uh-huh. brewed with salt. And they're usually, they're really good springtime summer beers because they're hydrating. Are they wheat based or anything? Like, what's, uh, or, or what's, what's special about them? Is their yeast different? Like, how do they. Honestly, I've never brewed a Goza, so I couldn't tell you. Dude, you're supposed to be like the ultimate beer nerd. You're supposed to have all of this amazing beer knowledge stored in that in that head of yours. That uh, you think this is a good one? Yeah, it's a good one. So it's not salty. I mean, I know it's a German style, so there's probably some like uh-huh. flaked weed or something in there, but because uh-huh. yeah, they're usually not bright. They're usually pretty clear or uh, cloudy. Yeah. And yeah, that one's that was sort of medium cloudy, I'd say. Well, my beer actually has an incredible color to it. Like, oh, hold on, I do think they're kettle soured. Oh, okay. Are you tasting it to see? No, no, no. I oh. just think. I you think, think it goes as a kettle soured beer? I think. Okay. Don't don't hold me to that. I, I won't. I, I mean, it's going to be on the internet, so the internet will hold you to it, but I personally will not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so my beer is beautiful. My beer has this... What color is that? Ruby? No. Uh, red? Orange. Orange? It's orange. <laughs> uh, but it's gorgeous. You, you definitely can't see through it. Um, but it also doesn't have a cloudy look. It's just a, It's just sort of a dark beer. And the smell is... Oh, there's a really yeasty smell to this. I think my, my nose is coming back. <laughs> yeah, I guess I smell something super bready and yeasty. And... But I guess there's a little bit of that kind of... Uh, caramely flavor that I associate with the triple. Hmm. But not a lot of it. I got a little bubblegum. A little bubblegum? Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of that in there. And the blackcurrant is definitely there. It's clean though. But it's not a yeah, it's not sweet. It's really not super sweet. And there's I would say even the malt isn't super sweet. It's a fairly dry beer, but it still has a good body to it. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with it. This is another one that I think I found on Twitter when I was looking at the PDX beer hashtag. because uh, it was just released on the eighth and it's the eleventh today. Ah. Um so so yesterday when, when Matt got to town and we were like what are we going to do? Uh, I looked on Twitter. Um, so I think that more brewers and breweries and stuff that are using Twitter should use the PDX beer hashtag when they're announcing beer releases because it's a really convenient way to just sort of look at what's going on. Um, and that's totally how we've made most of our decisions for where to drink this, this weekend. Uh, because even like Ex Novo, we went there because the uh, liquid sweater yes. was on Twitter. We picked this place because the thing that I'm drinking was on Twitter. Was it that or was it something else? It was this one. The Callisto Blackcurrant Triple was, okay. was tagged on, was in a Twitter, a tweet. Um, I wish they'd had the barrel-aged, the bourbon barrel-aged porter. Oh, yeah. They're sold out. Yeah. Well, what did we, should we, we should talk about Ex Novo. Oh, yeah. So, what did you have there? I got the... Pinot Porter. Yeah. It was a Porter aged in Pinot Noir barrels, and it was super, super good. It was like, delicious. The it, wine definitely came through. Oh man, it totally tasted like it was a wine porter mix. Like they had just yeah. blended wine and porter together uh, in the glass or something. It, yeah, I had a little taste yeah. of it when you were done with it. Super good. Yeah. I'd get that beer again. Yeah, I would too. I mean, that was delicious. That was a beer that I would give to my mom, <laughs> who's typically not a beer drinker, but she loves <laughs> red wine. Um, and then I had uh, the liquid sweater, which was a, a winter warmer, uh, which it was a red ale for sure. I mean, I guess when I when I go for a winter warmer, I like it doesn't bother me when it's hoppy, but I really want the the warmth and the malt to like really stand out and yeah, be unique. Yeah, toasty and caramely. Yeah, those are some really important characteristics, and I feel like uh, it kind of fell down on those, so it wasn't as warm and rich as I was expecting, but it was still a pretty good beer. Huh. I mean, it was no, uh, you know, I mean, my my go-to winter beer right now is uh, Abominable. Abom Abominable? Abominable from, from Hopworks, but that's only because I go there all the time, because it's right next to my house. Uh, so, and, and, you, and it's hard to compare it, because Abominable is like a winter IPA, you know, it's super hoppy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, when I think about like the winter beers that are just classic winter beers to me, they tend to be stuff like Jubilee, uh, Wassail, like those sorts of beers. 
We should do a tasting of that. That would be a good podcast episode where we just get like classic Oregon winter ales and we do like a blind tasting. And I'll bring some from Washington. Like, yeah, they're not going to be any Like good. the real nobody, bourbon barrel abominable Yeah, from nobody, nobody cares about Washington beers. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I was, I, was, I was happy with it but not uh, blown away. Like your your choice was way better than mine there. That Pinot Porter was pretty stellar. I was pretty happy with it. And the food uh, looked really good too. We got yeah chips and dip. Chips and yeah, yeah. And they they made their own potato chips. I think yeah, those are pretty good. Malt vinegar potato chips with a uh, bacon French onion. Yeah, and I'd, dip. I'd I'd been to Ex Novo before, but uh, a long time ago, and I I think I don't remember why I was there or what I was doing but it was just sort of like I was passing through that neighborhood I had to get some food I was like oh food and a beer um it's just hard to find in Portland yeah it's really hard to find <laughs> that was sarcasm internet that was sarcasm we, food and beer is like the easiest thing to find in Portland yeah and Lyft drivers yeah and Lyft drivers like right now I'm like I, I have to get some cat litter and Lyft I'm drivers sort of, food and beer and apartments being built yeah, it's really easy to find construction sites, cool. food, beer, and Lyft drivers. Yeah, other things like, uh, yeah, like cat litter. I'm sort of like, huh, where are we going to go to get cat litter between here and my house? Is there a good place for that? I think there's a brewery that has it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sandy Nugget Brewing. Ew. <laughs> Pothole Filler Brewing. Oh. <laughs> So we never we never came up with a good occult topic to discuss. We started talking about pop culture and the occult. Cult. Well, and I guess there is more interesting stuff there. You, you know, uh, like another thing is like the occult in in music, mm-hmm. um, especially in hip hop. Well, or metal. Yeah. Or even like Tool. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You you like Tool? Yeah, I love Tool. Uh, I've never even listened to Tool, so. Don't give me that look. I'm, I'm old, dude. You're four years older than me. Yeah, well, you're from Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never, I just never listened to Tool. Um, Tool was, was, in my social scene at the time, Tool was kind of a joke band. Like, huh. you'd see somebody wearing a Tool shirt and you'd be like, yeah, you are. <laughs> um, so I really don't know very much about them. I don't even know. I mean, I'm sure they must have uh, some popular songs that I've heard, but I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah, we'll have to listen to some when we leave. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I was just interviewed by Ryan Peavy from the Culture Podcast, and he talks about how Tool is what got him interested in the occult. Hmm. Like he was a huge Tool fan. And he was listening to Tool, and then he was like, I'm just going to look up some of the stuff they're talking about. And, like, the rabbit hole opened up and uh, swallowed him, you know? Um, I think that, I, I might say kind of the same thing. I mean, really? I already kind of had that bent from the time I was a little kid with those Time Life books. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think Tool may have helped spark some of that, too. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Um, well, then that's good. That's good that that sort of... Yeah. So, so maybe that's an interesting thing about pop culture and the occult is that... When the occult leaks into pop culture, it draws people into the Western mystery tradition, mm-hmm. um, which is something that 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 our modern, you know, ever since like materialism took over 
Western society, we have a super, super difficult time dealing with this sort of like shadow side of ourselves. Like we, we don't like facing the fact that so much of Western society comes from magic. You know what I mean? Magic drove our society for so long. Magic built Western medicine. And that's... There's a tool song talking about dealing with your shadow self and delving into it. What's it called? 46 and 2. Uh, that's, a, that's a meme that sounds kind of occulty. It is. And you know that, like, 46 divided by 2 is 23. It's a reference to... Talk a bit and I'll look it up. Okay, okay. So, so it's fascinating to me that uh, pop culture can draw people into the occult. So, like, occult references in pop culture can really draw, like, get people curious and get them actually using stuff. And I wonder about this a lot when I'm doing tarot readings because a lot of times I'll tell people, like, I'm going to do a tarot reading using the Rider Waite deck and a lot of these cards are going to be things that you've seen in movies and TV shows and blah, 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 blah. And even then, there are still people who are like, huh, I don't think I've ever seen tarot in a TV show or movie. And in my head, I'm like, that's impossible. It's so common in movies, and it's so common in TV shows. How would you not see tarot cards mm-hmm. on TV, ever? Like, it's, it's just, it's everywhere. Um, and then in music, you know, you have, uh, like, David Bowie is probably... One of the most blatant um, occult referencing pop stars, but then you also have like Led Zeppelin. Everybody loves Led Zeppelin, and Led Zeppelin has sigils on the cover. Yeah, and really heavy occult influences yeah. in a lot of their music. Um, I mean, Jimmy Page even bought Crowley's house, Bullskine House. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And there's even like a book about it, Thirty Three and a Half, Thirty Three and a Third, which is about. Uh, occult references in, in Led Zeppelin songs. It's not a super good book, but it's still pretty interesting. Um, the Carl, and then, sorry, the 46 oh. and 2 is a Carl Jung reference. Oh, what's reference? Uh, let's see. Reference the title, first conceived by Carl Jung and later expounded upon by Drunvalo Melchizedek concerning the possibility of reaching a state Did of you evolution. you say Jafalo Melchizedek? Drunvalo. Drunvalo. Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Okay. Concerning the possibility of reaching a state of evolution at which the body would have two more than the normal 46 total chromosomes and leave currently leave a currently disharmonious state. Huh. Uh, the premise is that humans would deviate from the current state of human DNA which contains 44 autosomes and two sex chromosomes. The next step of evolution would likely result in human DNA being reorganized into 46 autosomes and two sex chromosomes. Chromosomes. Ah, 46 plus 2. Yeah, so 46 and 2. Uh, furthermore, it is believed the song references a wish to experience a change through the shadow, an idea which represents part of blah, 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 young, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Young, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should pay more attention to Tool. Though I, I think for the most part, most of their songs aren't, lyrically aren't occult-related. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll but there's an occult feel. Yeah. And Danny Carey is the drummer. He's a pretty sure he's a thelemite. Uh huh. I'll have to talk to Ryan and see um, what exactly it was about Tool that that drove him, drove his curiosity. Like that'd be an interesting thing to find out. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, and so you know, uh, Matt Turcott from Dog mm-hmm. Soldier and Esoteric Lodge, number two twenty-seven. Although this is not a Masonic podcast. Uh, 
he has talked to me a lot about uh, occult references in metal. So like metal music has a lot of occult stuff running through it, and you can see it sometimes super obviously. Uh, I mean, maybe the maybe the most famous and most obvious is like Slayer with with their with their upside down pentagram thing, um, or like Black Sabbath obviously is an occult reference. Um, but then even or or then even when you get start to get into other and some of these I guess are mainstream now, but like Ghost has a lot of occult stuff in their in their logo and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but like metal is infused with occult references, and we know so like we know Megaton Leviathan. Have you met him? No. He's also an esoteric, a giant dude, taller than you. Long dark hair, long beard. Yeah. Yeah. He's a uh, his his music directly references occult stuff a lot, and even when he does like live performances, he'll have like Holy Mountain playing in the background and stuff. So. So, so, and I don't, I guess that's hard to call pop culture, because it's pretty fringy. Fringe, yeah. But, um, but it's definitely, I would say that metal is kind of pop. Not pop music, but pop culture. Pop, oh, yeah, okay. Right? In the same way that, like, Hot Topic isn't pop music, but Hot Topic is pop culture. Yes, um, so that's yeah. he usually has that over his drums. Oh, so that's the sigillum day, and then a universal of, hexagram with the universal hexagram in the middle. Uh, this is Danny Carey's uh, drum kit with the weird sigil in the background. And there's some good examples of like when he signs or what he puts on his drum heads, uh, like on a snare head. Let me find. Yeah, you should send me some of those. Oh, what is that? That's a uh, that's drum uh, drum sheet music or drum. Uh, oh, is it okay? What do you call okay. It? Yeah, but huh. overlaid on. Yeah. So. On a planetary hexagram. That, yeah. That's cool. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So. But that's also yeah, and so we know that pop culture and the occult overlap a lot. So the other interesting thing about that is like, uh, Yuan Kuliano's thesis that. Uh, magic, the image magic, after it was sort of driven out of popular, co- uh, you know, popular consciousness in the Renaissance by the Reformation and by all the like Protestant dickheads, uh, that it made its way into modern advertising. Yes. So, and a lot of pop music or a lot of pop culture uh, advertises and sort of references back to these sort of occult symbols in a way that is totally. I guess in a way almost self-referential then, right? Because it's it's going around full circle. Mm-hmm. We have it like fading out of the popular mindset, uh, becoming sort of this like mysterious cool thing, and then entering back in as sort of like a way that that pop culture tries to be cool. Yeah. Like look how edgy we are. Look at our hexagrams. <laughs> and that's my first thought most time when I see it in pop culture, even within metal, like yeah. I think more times than not, they're just grabbing onto symbols that they think look spooky. Which makes me realize that, like, a lot of times when occult symbolism is used in pop culture, nobody knows what the fuck it means. They're just shoving shit together because they think it looks cool. Uh, Reminds me of that uh, conversation between Freud and Jung. Yeah. Where Freud is like, you goddamn fool, you've just released, like, the whole of 
occult symbolism and esotericism to like the public because he mm-hmm. thought the public was too dumb to handle it or understand <laughs> it. I mean, I, I still think that it's okay to have that symbolism out there, and it's okay, and and I think that it's good because we've done such a good job at, at burying uh, the Western mystery tradition that when you have those kinds of symbols available. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's just available through, you know, pop culture, uh, it can generate curiosity in people and they can start to go look it up. And now we have the tools to do it. You know, you can do a Google image search on, on some symbol and then get like a Wikipedia page about some occult topic, which can totally just start a journey. Yes. Um, so I think that, I think that of all times, now is an awesome time for occult imagery to be used in pop culture. Yeah. Because it's so easy to look it up. And you won't be killed for having it. You probably won't be killed. Yeah. Maybe maybe in North Carolina. (laughs) Where wizards don't get to use the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Like man, woman, wizard. How do I my kids share in the bathroom? No wizards. <laughs> Everyone knows what wizards do in them bathrooms. <laughs> They're toilet demons. <laughs> it's just the effect of tacos. Tacos just make toilet demons when you don't give tacos to a wizard. <laughs> this beer is so delicious. I mean, like, it's not super fruity. It's not super sweet. But the tartness of the blackcurrant... Uh, just melts really nicely with that sort of it's the Belgian candy sugar isn't it that has that that other flavor in there like that triple flavor that we're so Mm -hmm. used to Uh, and they mix together super well which makes it just chuggable like I'm going through my beer way too fast do they use uh, I was going to see if they mentioned I don't know I I assume they must I know a lot of places just use yeah, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin's coming on. You, you pro- it's, it's probably not getting picked up on this very well. But Fourth Orbit Imperial Mango IPA. I think I'm going to get another beer. I know this is a super bad idea since... It's your birthday. It's my birthday. I don't have to be... You're going to take a nap? You'll be fine. That's true. Thanks for your vote of confidence. <laughs> I love that uh, we returned to Wayfinder. I know. Exactly one, one year. year later. And they improved so much. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, their beer was... They had some really impressive stuff on. And um, the thing that was really nice about it is uh, their impressive beers weren't their, like, super boozy ones or their super out-there ones. You know, the ones that really impressed me were... That Saison. Oh, my God, that Pilsner. That crystal clear, golden, beautiful Pilsner. So good. That was so delicious. And that Saison. That Saison was so was super good and you didn't try the um, the Czech black lager no that thing was incredible like it was milky and smooth and like coffee notes in it like and those are styles that that you see uh, like you see black lagers done in Portland pretty often like Dunkles and stuff uh, but that one was definitely the best mm. and then um, that Pilsner I think was even better than the Engelberg Pilsner from Upright, which is perhaps the most German of all American Pilsners. Wow. So, I was really impressed. 
and it was interesting. So, you know, like Pilsner used to be considered a really, really hoppy style. But the, um, what's the, uh, the American Home Brewers Association, whatever, you know, like they have those style guidelines? Uh, BJCP. BJCP. So the BJCP style, uh, guidelines for a Pilsner is that it's between like 25 and 32 IBUs. Um, and this one was probably like maybe 30, maybe 28. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't super hoppy, but the flavor of the hops was like so clear. Yeah. Right? Like that was sauce. Zots. That's probably how it's really said, but it was so clear and so crisp and it wasn't about bitterness. It was just about like... Just the floral character. Oh of man, the sauce. It, was, yeah. it was brilliant. Like yeah. that was... That was a dream pilsner, you know. I can we do that? Can do you know how to do that thing? The how to lager? No, the um, the decocting. Do you know how to do that? Yeah. Can we literally? You just scoop it out, some out, and you boil it. Uh, could we? So so next winter, could we lager at your place? Do you have mm, a place that's cold enough? I should have an extra fridge by then, so we'd be able to. Okay. Then. I've got a mini fridge. Could we hook up a mini fridge to do it? It's probably it not be, big enough. Yeah, it would be big enough. Um, because I think that would be a really... I used to have a chest freezer in my garage with a temp controller on oh, it. Oh, nice. So I could put my kegs in there. And I can help you build something like that, you know. Um, but it would, be, it would be amazing to be able to make a beer like that. Like, Pilsners to me are so mysteriously complicated. Yeah. You know, they're, they're amazing beers. When they, done right, they're absolutely oh, amazing. Man. They have like a delicacy to them that uh, that is almost unmatched. Uh, my buddy Jesse, who spent a lot of time in Germany, talks about drinking pilsners over there, and he says that like in in parts of Germany where pilsners are like the star beer, they serve them in in like little fluty glasses. Like you don't get you don't get a pint of pilsner. You get like this thing that you're supposed to sip and enjoy, um, which makes sense because they're they're hard to do right. But it doesn't make sense to me because it's not a beer that even when done well, it's not one you really want to drink. As it opens up and gets warm, it's one you want to drink still fairly cold. Yeah, but he's saying that they're in they're in small glasses, right? So you're getting like a, a champagne flute style oh, beer. Oh, okay, I didn't get yeah. They're like Sorry. a like a tulip glass full of full of pilsner yeah. instead of a pint of pilsner, hmm. right? So, uh, which is really fascinating to me um, because they do have like this incredible delicacy to them, and like that one today, just the clarity of it and stuff like it. It reminds me of how Pilsners were sort of like among the forefront of beers that were created when glass became a thing. Hmm. When suddenly you could get glass glasses and you, were, you weren't drinking out of a stoneware mug or a beer stein or like a wooden, wooden mug, mug you, you, you got like a glass with beer in it. Yeah. And all of a sudden people were like, why is there all this floaty shit in my beer? <laughs> <laughs> and that's when clear beer became a thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it really made me think of that. And it, but it really, I, I was super blown away. I would love to try to brew one of those. I just don't think I'm. I, I would need your help because I don't feel like I'm a good brewer. I'm. I'm. I mean, they have a pilsner here, and after all that talk about pilsner, I'm kind of thinking. Does that mean get another one working, maybe? I do. I do want to get another one. Um, I'm trying to decide. I think between the filament winter IPA and the fourth orbit. Imperial Mango IPA. So the Imperial Mango is going to be really, real juicy, uh-huh. but it's not going to have a ton of bitterness on the back end. Okay. In my opinion, it comes across, and technical 
BS terms like a Northwest Pale. Okay. Like it doesn't, it has a lot of the like the, the hop flavor, but not a ton of the bitterness. Okay. Whereas the the filament is going to bring a fair amount. It's going to have some concentrated bitterness of the the Northwest IPA, like kind of ideal. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go for the winter IPA. Yeah. I'm gonna, let's uh, burn my tongue out. Yeah, I'm good right now. Thanks. This is the taste of the, the fourth orbit. I would suggest maybe trying that first. Okay, thank you very much. Welcome. All right, these guys are awesome. They brought me a little taster. Okay, so I'm going to try... Do you want to try this? Yeah. Okay. So this is the fourth orbit Imperial Mango IPA. Um, this is celebrating the fourth anniversary of this brewery, actually. Each year they brew a, a celebration beer. Says it's an imperial IPA with loads of real mangoes. What do you think? Uh, huh. Yeah, that's my. Huh is my. I would not guess it was mangoes. No. There's there. I would guess that there's a tropical fruit added. Mm -hmm. But it's mostly hops. It's like and hops again, and, and a and a interesting fruit sweetness. But that doesn't strike me. It doesn't jump out as mango. No. Solid beer. I would yeah. drink it as an Imperial IPA. But I would have known mango was in there. Yeah. I would have guessed that, that that whatever tropical fruit flavor was a mix of malt and hops. That, yeah. Huh. That's interesting. What was the other one you got? Um, this is the Filament Winter IPA. Try that. Uh, so let's see. Oh, the description is great. As the winter sun hangs low in our sky some 93 million miles away, solar filaments, giant arcs of cool, dense plasma, explode from its surface. Filament Winter IPA is a dry-hopped cosmic winter wonder with crystal, mandarina bavaria, and centennial hops. I like that. I like that a lot more than the... Yeah? Yeah. So I recently asked on Facebook, so I'm, I'm going to be complaining about this until we get a weird brewer to come on and talk to us about the occult. So listeners at home, this is your homework assignment is to find us a weird occulty brewer. Uh, but um, so I asked on Facebook, I asked my Facebook friends like, hey, do you guys know who's the weirdest brewer in Portland? And they recommended the brew, somebody recommended the brewer from this place. Huh. I'm like, oh, you should talk to blah, 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 the head brewer at Ecliptic. He's super weird. So we might want to look him up, but but I love this celestial theme. Like I like I'm not sure how much people realize that you know. So so we we've talked we've talked a little bit about how uh, modern society, modern culture, has this really uncomfortable relationship with Western esotericism with the occult. You know, and that's that's changing now. Like I suspect, like over the next hundred years. We might embrace it more fully, and it might like reintegrate into our culture. But I think that one of the things we really fail to realize is that, like science and the occult, especially in the Western world, are intertwined. Like they are deeply entangled, and it's only since probably I, I don't know. I mean, it's probably been developing for a long time, but like the the division between religion and science has almost created sort of like a threefold division. So you've got like re religion, the occult, and science. When before they were all kind of the same thing. Yeah. 
Um, and a lot of it has to do with kind of the way that our understanding of the world has changed, our understanding of creation has changed. And one of those big shifts with the, was the shift from geocentrism to heliocentrism, and then from heliocentrism to the idea of sort of like a grand cosmos that, you know, where... At first, you know, so you had sort of like the the view of the universe as espoused by like Nicolas de Cusa and Giordano Bruno, where you had like an infinite universe with where every star was a sun with planets revolving around it and blah 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 blah. But now we have still, you know, now we've developed sort of this idea of structure just from observations. So we know we've got galaxies and uh, like galactic clusters and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that shift, that shift from like a geocentric universe where the entire universe is encased within like crystal shells where it was finite. The universe was like this finite little tumor inside God or whatever to this exploded huge vast infinity. You know, it, it, it kind of broke us. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we are, as a society, we're all sort of like, oh fuck. <laughs> Everything is huge. <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> but I love seeing... That's why. That's one of the reasons I love seeing people take such a an interest in um, astronomy like this. Like the fact that they've got that huge mural with the sun and all the planets orbiting it, and the fact that they that they reference it in their beer names, and the fact that it's like so ingrained in this place. Like these are people who look up. Even like with that light fixture. Oh my God! They've got an infinity light fixture. Yeah. And then over here, they've just got a big circle. Yeah, I love. I love it. Like these are people who look up. Like, you look up, and you look out into space. You look out into the vast unknowableness, and you ask questions. Like, that's kind of the best thing you could ever do as a human being. Most of us don't anymore, and even if we want to, most of us live in cities with light pollution. It's very hard. It's just lost. Very hard. There's a movement, actually, to reduce light pollution Mm -hmm. that's sort of... um, aimed at like you know putting caps on street lights so they only shine downwards or getting people to have like low wattage porch lights and all that sort of stuff but I do think it's really important for people to realize how much light pollution hurts our our, our sense of connectedness I live in the country and that's part of the reason why I never use my porch light like that ruins you get to go outside and you get to look up yeah looking up is is uh, is world changing you know I mean mm-hmm. seeing seeing that out there and I've been paying a lot more attention I've been trying to uh, watch how stars move throughout the year and I use a, an app on my phone to sort of like chart the stars and and I found that as you watch the sky certain stars and I don't know exactly what it is I don't know if it's a relationship to other stars or, or what but they just become kind of familiar so like I can spot Vega in the sky uh, and maybe it's just because of the way it's positioned in relation to other stars, but it's just sort of like, oh yeah, hey, there's Vega. And then I'm like, wait, is that correct? And I'll look it up on my phone. No, it's like, Altair. Which is close. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and it, it, but it's, it's really interesting that um, the more you look at the sky, the more familiar it becomes. And, and those sights, sort of like that, that familiarity with the sky, makes the world bigger mm-hmm. and smaller at the same smaller. time. Smaller. More familiar, more, there's like an intimacy. So anyway, keep listening. 
and follow us on Facebook. And do we have, we don't have an Instagram. We don't have any social media we don't because have Facebook? that's all Joey's responsibility, oh. and he hasn't done anything. Oh. Well, if you're listening to us, you already know where to find us: Stitcher, so, iTunes, iTunes, the internet, at uh, myalchemicalbromance.com. Uh, you should rate us. Rate us on iTunes. Yeah. Rate us on Stitcher. Rate us on uh, whatever thing you're listening to. If it's got a rating system, give us five stars, even if we don't deserve it. Because we yeah, totally... and not just that. Just tell your friends. Tell your weirdo friends because you're yeah. weirdo like us. If you're listening to this, so you probably have other weirdo friends. And... Yeah, and if you've got weirdo friends who want to be on our podcast, have them get in touch with us. Like we love Absolutely. weirdos. And how we... would they do that? Uh, well, they can get a hold of me on Twitter. They can find us on the internet. Don't we have like a something at myalchemicalbromance.com? It's super possible that I'm not <laughs> I'm not positive, but I will add a web page on our website. I'll add a page on our website, a contact page that allows you, our listener, to send us email saying, Hey, I want to be in your podcast. I'm super weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I love beer. And we haven't been drinking. At all. Yeah. Okay. So, thanks for listening. Oh, Yahtzee. Yahtzee. Hilarious.